Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass Podcast. This for UFC Vegas 68. This episode of the Dogger Pass Podcast and all episodes of the Dogger Pass Podcast are brought to you by Prize Picks. Use promo code DOP when making a new account to get a match up to $100 on your first deposit. Producer Megan on the sticks, Cody Saftik on the line, breaking down. It's UFC Vegas 68, but it's a weird card because we got the, uh, the road to the UFC finals here. So we've got a bunch of Asian fighters trying to get their spot in the UFC. Taping some of them, it's like, these are going to be kind of entertaining fights. I don't know how long a lot of these guys are going to last in the organization, but, um, you know, the, the card is obviously not filled with a bunch of fun names or anything like that, but, or like top names, people that you actually know, but it's actually, uh, I think it could be an entertaining night of fights. Plus, we got Bellator, like, there's plenty of action if you want to be, get, be getting down on Saturday. Uh, there is there are plenty of uh, spots for you to bet if you are a full full blown degen, which we are. How you doing, Code? How was your week off? Yeah, good week off, man. Good week off. Reset the batteries, and then yeah, this card. You'd need, even if you were a hardcore fight fan, you probably were not familiar with at least a few of these names and uh, required tape studies. So at least they gave you an extra week to kind of get ahead of it. This card would normally be absolute trash, but you mentioned it. It's like a late start time. Card starts at ten p.m. So. You can watch Bellator, and then when Bellator is essentially done, yeah, for the people that are going to be hanging out at 2, 3 in the morning, this is great. You get Duho Choi versus Kyle Nelson at like 2.30 or something. So, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty excited. It'll be a good Saturday night coming up. Um, in terms of the bets, yeah, I don't think you need to bet every single fight on this card. There's five or six good spots at best. You take those five or six good spots. You move on to your Bellator spots, another five or six, seven good spots there, and I think that's how you attack making your parlays because – there's going to be some greasy underdogs coming through 100%. Most of these guys that are in these tournaments, there's four tournament fights, these road to the UFCs, they're all making their UFC debut, essentially. Neither of them, outside of one guy who we'll talk about, should probably be at this level. But these guys don't fight in a cage, right? They have very little cage experience. They have very little experience with elbows. They have The rule set's completely different. So you're going to have guys make bonehead mistakes. You're going to have guys lose points. It's just going to be greasy. There's a couple good fights on the card, sure, that are not these tournament-style fights, but... Again, the UFC knows what they were doing. They knew that the primary demographic for the show would probably be the Asian market. So not only are these four tournament fights catering to them, but pretty much the rest of the card is as well. Tatsuro uh, Terra, Jung Young Kim, uh, Jung Young Park. A whole lot of Jung Youngs on the card, by the way. Duho Choi, as we mentioned. Dong Jung. I think, I think if you were you know, a big Spanish fight fan, these are all the best Spanish prospects, you wouldn't be into the card. The rest of the world might not. You know, If you're a Canadian fight fan, these are all the best Canadian guys. You'd be pumped up. The rest of the world might not. If you're an Asian fight fan, these are a ton of good prospects. Right? It's going to be an exciting card. For the North American audience, maybe not. But after tape studying it, I'm seeing the exact same thing you're seeing. Maybe you get the pick right. Maybe you get the pick wrong. The fight will be good, man. Like, they're not that good. They'll lead to entertaining fights. Yeah. All right, let's get into the main event. We've got Sergey Spivak taking on Derek Lewis. Minus 225 uh, Spivak, plus 190 for Derek Lewis. Uh, there's some images floating out, or there's like a image floating out there of Derek Lewis. He, like, I think he was like booted off of Instagram and he isn't very active on Twitter. Um, so we'll see at weigh-ins, like how much, uh, how much slimmer the Black Beast is. Um, we talked about this fight a while ago. Obviously, this fight was canceled 
what, a couple hours before the fight was actually supposed to take place. Like, all of the prelims were on, and, and we find out Derek Lewis is, uh, you know, sick or whatever, had to get pulled off of the card. We both like Spivak in that situation. If Lewis comes in in better shape, I don't really know how that works for him in this matchup because the the issue with, like, Spivak is, like, you were kind of concerned. It's, like, if he doesn't put him away and, like, Lewis carries that power into deep rounds, we've seen it many, many times before, even if he looks super, super gas, he can still knock you out. Um, If he's... Yeah, having like, you know, fighting a 280 pound man when you're 230 pounds and trying to hold him down, that's exhausting. It's exactly what happened to uh, Shamil Abdurakhimov when he took on uh, Derek Lewis, right? It's like by round four, he's like, oh my God, I'm exhausted. And Derek Lewis put him away in round four. Um, if Derek Lewis comes in at like 240, 250, like 245, 250 or something like that. Sure, it's going to help his cardio. Sure, it's going to help his mobility on the feet. But I don't know if it helps him in a wrestling match because it should make it a little bit easier on Spivak. I still like Spivak to win. The price at minus 225 seems about right to me. Like I could do- totally see, of course, Derek Lewis landing a big bomb, uh, putting him out. But I feel like more often than not, like 70% of the time, uh, Spivak is able to take him down, take him down many, many times, wear him out, and uh, and probably find a finish in like say round two or round three, maybe a little bit later if it gets there. On Prize Picks, they've got uh, Spivak's takedowns at two, I believe. I think that's a nice little look. I've added that to like my yeah. He's uh, 2.0 takedowns. I think you can get to three. Like you go. And look, Sakai fight, he ended up getting uh, six takedowns and literally, and he finished them in the second round. So he had six takedowns there. He's good at taking people down. He's not the greatest at holding people down. So it's like he could get there in round one, he could get to two. No problem. Derek, uh, Greg Hardy was able to take him down three times. Vanderai took him down three times. Carlos Felipe took him down three times. Like, I think the path is definitely there for him to take down Derek Lewis uh, over two times. So I like that on prize picks. From a betting perspective, I'm going to wait till weigh-ins anyway. But, yeah, I got Spivak. Spivak in, inside the distance. It's a matter of how long Derek Lewis can last. What about you? Yeah, I'm going to agree, man. Honestly, the line opened up minus 180. Two days ago, I got it at minus 190. And then this awesome picture of Derek Lewis starts surfacing, and everybody's talking about it, and he looks in great shape, and he's down 25 pounds. It's going to be faster and better cardio. The line's now moved to minus 225. It moves 35 points since this picture came out. So, are people expecting a better version of Derek Lewis? Perhaps. But to me, it's just a little too little too late, right? He's 37 years old. This is a man that got to the highest point of the mountain already. He's already fought for a world championship twice. You know, he's fought Francis Ngannou and actually has a win over him. He's been there. He's done that. So why at 37 with back issues and health issues would you suddenly be like, yeah, I need to get trimmed out? Well, I'll tell you why. Because he had health problems going into his last fight. He literally got pulled because he has health issues. His doctor at this point would have been like, listen, you have high blood pressure. We're not letting you go and compete. You need to change your lifestyle. So yeah, he's made some dietary changes, but what you'll often find with some of these like killer heavyweights is they'll go on a vegan diet for a little bit to try to get their mobility back and help their the swelling in their joints. And uh, they just lose that zip, that power. So I'm not going to say Lewis is going to lose that power by losing down the 20 pounds, but I don't think it's the, the, the cure for everything. I think there's behind the scenes, behind the curtains, he's having probably larger issues and the losing 25 pounds, not next necessarily, you know, 
uh, a good sign. Now, in terms of the wrestling, yeah, you talked about Sergey Spivak. The guy gets takedowns on a lot of guys. What's important to note is that Augusto Sakai is 260 pounds. Greg Hardy is 265 pounds. Jared Vander is 265 pounds. Carlos Felipe, he's a little guy, 258 pounds. Tai Tui Vasa is 265 pounds. Yeah, he, I mean, he gets down those guys all day. If Lewis was still 260, he'd be going down. If he's 245, he's still going down. Spivak will get the takedown. Now, you mentioned doesn't have the best top control. Well, 28 years old, his grappling's definitely getting better. He'll oftentimes use multiple takedowns to get you down, but it doesn't seem to exhaust his gas tank all that much. Whereas Lewis, he explodes to get back up. He's going to get gassed out. The way he gets gassed out, then the takedown should be easier to come by. I would think that Sakai, bigger guy, filling out his own frame, is going to be able to do a lot of good ground and pound from top control. And also with Derek Lewis, he hasn't fought a whole lot of like submission guys. He's fought in guys that want to take him down. He's fought in a whole lot of guys that want to bruise him. But how many of these guys went in there with the game plan of choking him out? Not Pavlich, not Tuivasa. Doukas might have thought it, but didn't even try to take him down. Not Surreal Gone. Curtis Blades, maybe not really a submission guy. Ilya Latifi, Blagoy Ivanov, Junior DeSantos. Daniel Cormier is the only guy that actually fished for it. And if you remember that fight, the ha- choke's half in and Lewis is tapping. So Spivak's a big boy. He gets on you, tires you out, ground and pounds you, and looks for the neck. I think it presents itself, and I think Spivak probably locks it up by submission. Your issue here is that you've got a heavyweight fight. You're betting against Derek Lewis, who's the consummate puncher's chance. But we talk about his puncher's chance every single time, and lately it's not coming so up uh, nearly as often as it has in the past. So at 37, I wouldn't say he's shot. I'd just say he's not really, as Daniel Cormier says, not the, you know, the peak of the mountain, but he's going to knock out Spivak. I, don't, I, I strongly disagree. I would say Spivak is 28 years old, coming into his prime on a nice winning streak, looking progressively better every time. Mm-hmm. Derek Lewis is not the same guy. So yeah, puncher's chance, I get it. Totally get it. Heavyweight fight. Oof, don't want this on my top ticket because yeah, unless you're going to hedge, you know, it's a, it, it's a volatile fight. But it's not enough for me to bet Derek Lewis. I, I got to go with Spivak to get the job done. Probably inside the distance, probably by submission. By submission, there are plus 360s out there. The, I mean, most of his wins have been usually by ground and pound uh, when he gets finishes. So that's why. But like, I don't know, you go back to... Another guy, Tai Tuivasa, who doesn't have much of a ground game. He's been able to get an arm, arm triangle against him. And he has some submissions uh, on his record back in his, his regional scene days. So um, not, not, the craziest, not the craziest look there whatsoever. Uh, let's move on to the next fight. we got Daong Jung taking on Devin Clark. Minus 250, Jung plus 210 for Devin Clark. Who we got here, buddy? And this one smells like a potential apple pie shit. Like, I could see Dong Jung going out there and absolutely steamrolling him. Of course, he's got big power. He's got nasty elbows inside the clinch. You know, the win over uh, Kendi and Jaquui. It's like, Jesus, man. When he's on at his best, uh, he's a problem in the pocket. The issues that I have with him is that his cardio doesn't really seem to be all that good. Go back to the Sam Alvey fight where he noticeably starts to fatigue the longer the thing goes. And then generally his wins are kind of inside the distance. They're kind of in that first round or two. I don't know how his counter grappling would act over the course of 15 minutes. I don't know if he's got the gas tank to keep the fight standing for the full 15 minutes. And the thing with Devin Clark is that he's not above just clinging onto your leg and pressing you into the cage for the entire duration of the match, if he so pleases. Another thing with Dong Jung is he doesn't appear to be the biggest 205er in there. I mean, he was noticeably smaller than Kennedy, but he was obviously way smaller than Dustin Jacoby's last time out, and he ends up getting TKO'd in the first. With Devin Clark, again, he doesn't appear to be the biggest 205-er. He fought at once at 185 in his UFC debut against Alex Nicholson, got KO'd, and then never again. But 
he's coming off a fight at heavyweight, you know, like he's, he fought, sorry, he fought Willie Knight at heavyweight. He fought that Azmat Mirzakhanov, not at heavyweight, but, you know, still a pretty big boy. I think that he's going to have some size, some, not necessarily size, but I think he's going to have some strength. He's got those big, thick legs of his, and I think he's going to have some success pinning him up against the cage in the clinch. Thing with Devin Clark is that there's just not enough damage, man. He's not really throwing his hands for the most part. He's landing some some short little knees to the thigh and whatnot. But at any point, Dong Jung's able to separate off the cage and land in his hands. Like he's got more than enough firepower to knock out Devin Clark. He's got more than enough firepower to just land the more damaging blows. And they're the eye-catching blows. And ultimately, what are the judges going to look at at the end of the 15 minutes? Devin Clark that had more cage control time, press him up against the cage, or Dong Jung who was able to. Uh, you know, hurt him, maybe land a couple good spas, maybe, maybe, maybe do a little more damage. So the line is just too big for me. Mm-hmm. Dong Jung's kind of, kind of is a little too much knowing that Devin Clark probably has a wrestling advantage, probably is going to cling on to him, probably going to press him up against the cage and they're in the apex. Like he doesn't got to go a long way to find him. So yeah, part of me is actually worried that this was, this would be the big underdog that comes through. But the other part of me is like, well, why don't you take some Devin Clark action? It's like, I just don't really care for him, man. He's not fighting to win. He's fighting to grind by and skim by rounds and maybe maybe win on a decision like there's not enough not enough killer instinct there for me so largely this fight's a pass i guess gun to my head if i had to pick i would probably take dong jung but um again i just there's, there's a smell to me here that i'm not digging and i think that devin clark could with the proper game plan give him all types of fits yeah i agree with most of what you said there and like the thing is with devin clark i know he's got like tree trunk uh uh, thighs, just like super, super big legs, which probably makes it hard for him to make 185 pounds. If you remember when they found him on like looking for a fight, oh, the, yeah. the guy Dana's like, you're a light heavyweight. Like you should probably be a middleweight. Um, he's six feet tall. He's taking on Dong Jung, who's six foot four. Like Dong Jung is a big light heavyweight. Devin Clark is a small light heavyweight. So like trying to press a guy with that strength, the guy who can, who showed that he's got some power in the clinch with his elbows could be a tricky proposition for Devin Clark to pull through with. He has been historically very, very durable. He's obviously a big time grinder. I'm not getting there from a betting perspective on Clark. And I'm actually siding with you with Daong Jung, but yeah, minus two fifty. It just doesn't, doesn't get me too excited on this card. There's lots of fights to bet. So I'm not going to force my hand on this one. And uh, yeah, and I really like on the on the over under, it's just like I'm actually if I was like gun to my head, had to bet something on this fight, I'd probably bet the over two and a half rounds at plus 130. Like I know that as uh, Mirzakhanov got the third round finish, but Devin Clark was winning that fight. Um like very very cleanly up until that point like my butt was puckered because i had a whole bunch of money on Mirzakhanov. he gets the third round finish but um yeah he doesn't get that crazy crazy what flying knee and who knows where but who knows it probably goes to the decision is all <laughs> i was gonna say what were you gonna say yeah there's a good example though right i had Mirzakhanov. you had Mirzakhanov. pretty much everybody at home had Mirzakhanov, and most guys took him inside the distance mm-hmm. and universally everybody was like oh man i done screwed up and then boom hits him with the flying he knocks him out then and that's why you always have to watch the fight fight metrics not the story when you look at fight metric devin clark was getting out struck where he got out struck in that fight 79 to 14 okay he got zero takedowns over Mirzakhanov. In fact, he never even tried a takedown. He went 0 for 0. And he had 26 seconds of control time. So he did have no control. He had no takedowns. He had no strikes landed. And yet he was universally believed by most to probably be winning the fight. 
How is that? Yeah. Those are the kind of fights that Devin Clark are in. There's not much happening, and he might be winning. And yeah, I just I I feel like Jung Jung could absolutely smoke him right out of there in the first round, smash him in the head with an elbow, goodbye. And it's like, damn, I should have loaded up on that. I just I think that there's a second scenario here where you're you're actually right. That's the last thing I want to address. Jung and uh, Jung uh, Dung Jung's actually a pretty big guy, six foot four. I've mentioned that he was small against Kennedy, who's also massive. He was small against Justin Jacoby. Justin Jacoby's a pretty massive guy as well. So my mistake. That that you're absolutely right, six foot four. But the advantage for Devin Clark is that he's always a shorter guy, and he's able to use that low center of gravity and those big legs to just ram you up against the cage, mm-hmm. and, you know, give you these awkward spots. So I think we're on the same page. Neither of us have got the cojones to bet Clark, but both of us seem smart enough to maybe go in a different direction instead of trying to load up against him. Yeah, we don't want to bet on a guy whose strategy will probably be to get standing cage control and then pray that the judges reward that standing cage control. That seems pretty yeah. like why why force your hand if like that's how you kind of see the fight playing out. So um yeah, none of us are doubting that like Dong Jung is going to be delivering the more damaging shots in most most scenarios that this fight plays out. So it's a stay away from me all the way around. Next up, we got uh Marcin Tybora taking on Blagoy Ivanov. Minus 135 to uh Tybora plus 115 Ivanov. I grabbed Blag- Blagoy at plus 130. I think he opened. And he was like plus one sixty. I missed. I missed the boat on the early, early action. But uh, here's how I really kind of see this fight. I think that like the wrestling between these two is pretty much a wash. Um, Blagoy is super, super tough. Both of these guys are like relatively low volume. My general mentality about this fight in general is that Blagoy is incredibly durable. He's went to decision in every single fight that he's been in. It's crazy that you have a heavyweight fight and the over two and a half is minus 245. I just think that we're this is going to be a very, very closely contested heavyweight decision. And I took the plus money at plus 130. Um, am I going to be shocked if I lose that fight? Like Blagoy's in fight, close fights all the time. Absolutely not, but um, I think he's got a, maybe a slight edge in uh, in like technical boxing, a slight edge in volume, very very ever so slight. But yeah, it's a close heavyweight fight. I took the underdog. Um, I don't know if I would really see how I could get to a point where I'd be laying laying juice in what I think is like a pretty fifty fifty fight. So Blagoy for me. What about you? Yeah, I went the other way. I just can't get behind Blagoy anymore. I love this guy. I mean, talk about Fedor's retiring on Saturday night. And Blagoy Ivanov, I mean, his claim to fame was defeating him in the 2008 World Combat Sambo Championships. And he got stabbed in the heart in the Bulgarian nightclub. And he took years off from the sport, from a Bellator champion. It's crazy that he's still going. I love the guy. I He's one of the more durable guys that's ever stepped in the game. Limited. The, the fights are close, but they're not scoring them for him. I had him over Derek Lewis. Why? Because he gets takedowns over Lewis all day if he wants them. And he did. He got three takedowns. Fortunately, he did absolutely nothing with them. Gassed out. Loses a split decision to Derek Lewis. Eh, fine. I bet him against Augusto Sakai in the next fight. Why? Because well, he's tough, man. He'll get the job done. Okay. No. He just stares at him. Attempts hardly any takedowns. Gets punched up from range, gasses out, second straight time, loses the third round cleanly, loses the split decision. Damn. But there's no way my boy got Ivanov. In no world is he going to lose to Marcos Rogerio de Lima. Not going to happen. So I absolutely load up on him. And yet he won, but ah, oh, he looks awful, Paul. He's so slow. He doesn't attempt any takedowns. He's durable. I'll give him that. And he's usually walking forward. 
this gas tank's no good. So after like a spirited first round, he just, his hands are low, he marches forward, and he gets hit a whole lot. The thing with Ty Bora is for as limited as he is, he's got that karate background. He's got like, you know, quick feet for a heavyweight, guy that moves around good, and decent cardio. In fact, cardio is the only reason he won his last fight against Alexander Romanov, because he's getting ragdolled for the first seven minutes, but he stays with it. And then he's able to come back and beat him. The Greg Hardy fight, he's getting beat early. He's getting chipped up early. He stays with it. He tires him out. He takes him out late. For a 260-pound man who's 37 years old, yeah, his cardio is pretty good. He's decently mobile enough. Output could use a little bit, could be a little bit better. But Ivanov's output's not all that good either. And what I think is going to happen is it's going to be a contested 1-1 going into the third. And Ivanov will just gas out, as he always does. Could he go out there with the game plan of taking down Tybora and making it happen? Sure he could, but he's not going to. And in fact, Tybora might just lean on him up against the cage to tire him out. First round, just lean on him the entire time. Make it a grappling match. Second and third round, he will not be throwing as much. His hands will be low. He marches on straight, linear lines, no footwork. He's so tough. He's so rugged. He's got a heart of an absolute warrior. But I can't put my money on him. He's just too slow, too uh, too plodding, and too predictable. So got to go the other way here in Marcin Tabor. But middling heavyweights, expect the worst. I'd rather have plus money. Not going to happen. Got to take that slight uh, minus 135. Uh, and Tybora on, on prize picks, one and a half takedowns. I like the under, um, under there. I just think like the, the wrestling here is a bit of a watch. I won't be shocked to see Marcin Tybora get to like two, maybe even three, but, um, I think more often than not, these guys stand or have like a lot of standing cage control over the course of 15 minutes. Um, probably not the most exciting heavyweight fight. And, Small cage uh, favors Ivanov. I'll give you that. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to be stunned if I lose that bet. Not going to lie. Uh, we got Duho Choi taking on Kyle Nelson. Duho Choi, a minus 180 favorite. Nelson can be had at plus 155. Haven't seen Duho Choi since 2019. He had to do Korean military service and so on and so forth. A guy who had, you know, a big fan following and uh, and a lot of people thought really, really big things for him when he broke onto the scene in the UFC back in 2014, you know, he went on a three first round knockout uh, streak. And then we kind of saw the limitations in his game. Cub Swanson, what a hell of a fight. Uh, we were both there in attendance at, um, at the ACC back then. Fight of the year. Fight of the year. Absolutely. And then the Stevens, Stevens knocks him out in round two. Jordan knocks him out in round two. Durability, a bit of a question, obviously. His defensive striking is a bit of a liability, but he's taking on a guy in Kyle Nelson who really doesn't have much of a wrestling game to speak of. Like he's been working on it, I think, but like he's definitely not elite by any stretch of the imagination. I'd be pretty stunned if he was able to just take Duho Choi down at will and grind out a decision. And we've seen him gas in uh, the later later it goes into fights. Um, I think Duo Joy, rifle favorite here. My biggest concern here is, yeah, massive layoff. What type of shape is he going to be? And maybe he's made massive improvements, and this is the best we're going to ever see from him. But I struggled to get to a minus 180 on him with so many question marks coming into this fight, obviously due to his, what, we're over a three-year layoff at this point. So... Hoping for the best for him, but my money is not going to get there. What's your take here, bud? Yeah, it's super exciting to see Duho Choi. I think you and me are a little more Duho Choi fanboy than everybody else because uh, 
Fight Network owned the deep video library for so long, so we were very familiar with this guy. And Robin Block used to do breakdowns specifically on the Korean Superboy. The guy moves so well. Everything is just very, very accurate, excellent striking, good eyes, right? But he was fighting at a very limited regional scene level. When he came to the UFC, he was the next big thing, man. He smokes out Juan Manuel Puig, bump, 18 seconds. Killer way to go and make a UFC debut. Beats Sam Cecilia, who was decent. Beats Tiago Tavares, decent. Like you said, all first-round knockouts. But the UFC has a tendency to be like, damn, well, I got a kid here who's undefeated. Wow, well, he's once beaten. He was, uh, was once beaten. He's 25 years old. He's 3-0 in the UFC. Three first-round knockouts. He's exciting. This Asian market's high for him. People are high for him. He's marketable. So what do you do? You throw him in against Cub Swanson? Like, it's a tough fight. He's 25 years old, right? And he's taking on a savvy veteran of the game, a former guy that, uh, guy that was a perennial top five of the division, five times the amount of pro experience that he has. And it's a crazy fight. But if you remember it, first round... Duho Choi is just piecing on like he looks so good the longer the fight goes that junkyard dog from Cub Swanson comes alive that's what allows him to win to, to work his way back into the fight ultimately win it fair junkyard dog now he fights Jeremy Stevens the first round he beats Jeremy Stevens he's way faster than him he outstrikes him he's moving well the second round Jeremy Stevens junkyard dog okay there's a guy that's gonna come after you so the second round junkyard dogs him and knocks him out and then wouldn't you know it, the Charles Jordan fight in the first round, Duhoy Choi looked pretty good, right? I thought he won the first round. He scores a knockdown. The second round, Charles Jordan is on his ass. So yeah, skill is there, but maybe not the durability. But beyond durability, is he's still only 25, 27, 28 years old during these fights. He's still young. And they're not doing him no favors by saying like, hey, let's build you up against a guy with durability issues. Or let's build you up against a guy that's not ranked in the division. No, they keep giving him these high-profile tough fights and he looks good early and fades late so Kyle Nelson actually does have the recipe to defeat him right in a way the guy's only great characteristic is that he's kind of a junkyard dog he's a guy that's going to stick with it and fight to the end the difference is he is by no stretch of the imagination on the level of a Cub Swanson or a Jeremy Stevens or a Charles Jordan he's way more limited he's got a little bit of cage control work he can grind you he can take an okay shot uh, he's a tad bit slow standing. He doesn't really throw a whole lot of combina combination punches. It's usually one and done. There's a strong argument that he probably should have won his last fight <laughs> against Jai Herbert, right? But again, it's just he's not doing enough. Yeah, he lands a couple decent shots, but it's one and done. There's a big right hand. What about what about a follow-up combination? Nothing. Nothing. Stands his ground, waits, tries to cut you off, tries to pin you up against the cage. Ultimately, goes to decision. He loses. He doesn't agree with it, but you need to see a little more activity. The Billy Quarantillo fight. Billy Quarantillo is all is uh, output, right? He's all pace. Kyle Nelson couldn't swim with him, right? He got tired. He gets tired in a lot of these fights. He started off well against Diego Ferreira. Short notice, he got tired. He started off decent against Matt Sales, 1-1 going into the third. Completely gasses out. Got subbed by Matt, Matt Sales. You got to keep that in mind, right? Mm -hmm. Grappling when he's tired, non-existent. Polo Reyes, he knocks out. Okay, great. great. I, I don't know what that does for you. A lot of guys have been there. A lot of guys have done that. And then the last two, yeah, he gasses out, and then he gets Jai Herbert's low work rate. So to me, Duo Choi's got him beat pretty much everywhere. He's a better grappler. He's a better wrestler. He's got better striking. He's a lot faster. If you're going to go one-and-done striking with Duho Choi, he's going to hit the target, and you're going to miss the target. The one thing is the kid's been off for four years, and Kyle Nelson, if you don't put him away, man, he's going to keep coming forward, and he's going to make it greasy, and he's going to make it tough. The reason why I'm just going to go ahead and pick Choi is, one, I got to go with skill at the end of the day, and I know this kid's got the skill. He's got the heart, he's got the durability, he's got all these things. I don't know, but I know he's got the skill. Second thing is, the damage, because you watched it live, brother, 
206, I think it was, UFC 206, when he fought Cub Swanson, <laughs> that's a life-changing beating. He mm -hmm. took a lot of damage. They throw him back in there quick against Jeremy Stevens, who, by the way, hardest, hitter feather, hardest hitting featherweight in the division. He doesn't knock guys down. He knocks guys out. Nobody knows who he is, but he's one of the hardest hitting guys. He knocks you out. That's tough as well. Then you give him Charles Jordan. He's never been in a boring fight. He's never fought a guy that took no damage other than Des Green. It's a lot of damage. So the four years off, that's good for him. He hasn't taken no serious damage. He's been able to go, stay active, work on other things, develop. 31 years old, still prime of his life. I think the four years off, considering how much damage he had been taking, would actually be a good thing. And then the last thing is, if you remember when Korean Zombie came back from his military service, fought Dennis Bermudez, starched him, right? The, the four years off is good. It was a good thing for him. Healed up his body, allowed him to work on some new wrinkles, some new tricks. Still a good fighter. The four years, it, you don't just lose it, right? So I think Dutroit's got his number. He's, he's going to take him. And the line's actually not too bad. You're betting on the unknown and the what if and the he should be. But yeah, Kyle Nelson flew out to Vegas on like Tuesday. Like they're bringing him in for a reason. This is almost exclusively an all Asian card. Duo Choi's legitimately a good prospect and a guy that was considered a star over there for a, a, a period of time. They're, they're finally doing what they should have done a few years ago and ease him into a winnable fight. And unfortunately for my Canadian brother, Kyle Nelson, I think they're looking at him as that easy fight. Which stylistically, I don't think he matches up particularly good against Choi. If for whatever reason this was a five-rounder, which it's obviously not going to be, I'd be tempted. I'd be tempted to live bet it if he could survive for the first two or three. But yeah, three-round fight. Choi coasts two, runs away if he has to. If not, catches him clean and knocks him out. Yeah, I think, I, I mean, I don't mind it. I, I don't know if I'm going to get there to the window, but the under two and a half rounds I see out there yeah. at like minus 175 right now, it's like, could be an absolute banger right off of the hop here. Um, Nelson has been doing a little bit of a better job of pacing himself, so it's not some sort of sure lock or anything like that, but... Um, that's where I would go just because I am a little bit scared of the unknown. We'll, we'll see more at weigh-ins and nah, you probably, I mean, Duho Choi doesn't exactly look like a ferocious killer out there. So I don't know if you're going to actually take very much away from, from the weigh-ins to be perfectly honest. Well, I, I, I would go to the under if I was going to do anything. I, I'll give you a greasy theory here real quick, too. So so all the Asian guys would be used to fighting during this time zone, right? And that's why they've shifted it for them. These guys that are... Kyle Nelson's a great example, okay? He trains at 7 o'clock at night. Then he goes home to his wife and kids. He has some dinner, reads a book, and calls it a night. Well, now he's fighting at like 3 o'clock in the morning, 2.30 in the morning against Duho Choi, who won't be affected by that because I think he's going to be a lot more... You know, used to that. I don't know. Maybe I'm overthinking it. I would think that you're going to see a guy like Kyle Nelson who probably worked his entire camp on his cardio come out and gas out for no other reason than adrenaline dump, body's not reacting the same, thrown off, just flew to Vegas on Tuesday, got settled by Wednesday, had to make the last little bit of weight by Friday, sit around all day with my nerves. You're thinking about it all the time. You're sitting there and you're thinking about, well, have a nap, have a nap. I can't because my body's not used to napping at this time they're going to get thrown off by it. I think there's guys that are going to get seriously thrown off by it. And it's going to, it's going to benefit Da Ung Jung. It's going to benefit Duho Choi. It's going to benefit Yasaku Kinoshida, right? Those guys are going to benefit from it. So uh, generally like on these, I don't know, I'm not saying Asians don't typically do good in the UFC, but like this will be one of those cards where it's like they beat the American guys up pretty handily, I think. All right. Well, you, you mentioned his name. We got Yusaku Kinoshita taking on Adam Fugit. 
Uh, Kinoshita is a minus 320 favorite. Fugit can be had for plus 270. I was considering uh, a bet on on Fugit, but then, you know, the more I kind of think about it, like, okay, so Fugit's going to have a, he's not like way bigger. Like I, the, my, the one thing I really took away from like Kinoshita on the, on contender series is like, this guy's pretty undersized for, uh, for 170 pounds. He was taking on like a six foot four monster in that Henrique kid. Um, but Fugit is like six foot one in his own right. Like he's pretty large round one for Fugit against Morales. You know, he was able to take him down, had some decent success, landed some half decent kicks I won't, I can't quite get there because you know he got his bell rung. He got knocked out in round three. He had kept. He had a pretty decent account of himself for being like a plus five hundred, plus six hundred underdog uh, against Michael Morales. There, um, wrestling looks okay. He may be able to exploit that here, but while it's on the feed, he's giving up so much speed to uh, to Kenosha, uh, Sorry, Kenoshida that uh, I don't know if I'm actually going to get to it. So for the purpose of the show and then like on Tout Master, I'm going to pick Fugit because of plus 270 underdog. But uh, but yeah, I don't know if I'm going to get to the betting window with it because I do obviously see why Kinoshita is is the favorite here. Um, the, the, the speed differential on the feet will be... Very, very. St- There's a massive, massive difference between these guys and how mobile they are. Small cage, maybe it helps Fugit a little bit, but not enough for me to actually put my money where my mouth is. But yeah, for the purposes of this show and in in Toutmaster, I'll be I'll be taking the underdog shot here. What about you? Yeah, I'm gonna agree largely on a lot of points. I got uh, Yusaku Kinshina, but the worry here for me is that he's 22 years old and he's for the most part rather unproven. So when you're making your UFC debut, you're taking on a guy that's tough, durable, a little bit older, can drag into those later rounds. That unknown at minus 325 is stuff that you don't like. But yeah, this kid, as far as I'm concerned, generally checks out. Again, only 22 years old, solid prospect, someone that's going to continuously to get better. Five and zero as an amateur, all uh, five wins inside the distance i'm pretty sure all by the first round finish and then as a pro largely the same keep in mind he's got one pro loss but it's it, nothing he did other well he grabbed the cage he grabbed the cage a bunch of times and they uh they disqualified him but he didn't lose he didn't actually lose was he getting tired maybe what i think is these japanese guys i already mentioned this once in the show they don't train in a cage they train in a ring most of their fights are in a ring when you move them to a cage they're not even trying to do it. It's just like it's a natural reaction to grab it, right? So he gets disqualified, whatever. If anything, good learning experience, right? Learn the rules, go to the gym, practice what you need to practice, get better. When he fought that Jose Henrique Souza on the contender series, the kid's actually like 20 years old as well. So it's two young kids. But to me, the biggest takeaway is if you look at Yusaku, everything's first round, right? His debut is 52 seconds, second fight, two minutes, 19 seconds. Third fight, 234. Fourth fight, minute 39. Got disqualified in the second round of his fifth fight. Was he tiring? Is that why he got disqualified? I don't know. Watch the replay for yourself. Knocks a guy out in minute 48. Against Jose Souza, at least he was forced to fight into the third round. And, you know, his cardio looked pretty good, man. This kid wasn't going anywhere. He fought a good second round. He's got good punching combinations. He's strong. He's physical. Uh, he pushes him to the third round. He knocks him out in the third round, like 49 seconds into it. I thought it was a pretty solid debut. So again, 22 years old, you want to ease him in. And I don't think this is the easiest debut for him. 
But I, I do like what I saw. Adam Fugit, meanwhile, he's 34, and that's to his benefit. He's already a full-grown man. He's already experienced things. He's already knows, you know, a thing or two about the fight game. And he's going to have to rely heavily on that experience to causing this kid to make mistakes. Takedown, that's going to help out. Guy's from Oregon. Clearly, he knows how to wrestle. And against Michael Morales, who's a very solid wrestler in his own right, he did manage to get that takedown. He did have some top control. He did have some success. And beyond that, when Michael Morales eventually beat the crap out of him in the second and third round, this kid could, 34 years old, this man could take a beating. His chin was on point. Got stopped in the third round. I think everybody was happy because everyone bet Michael Morales inside the distance to improve on his, like, minus 700 price tag. But he's got heart. He's got durability. He's probably got some decent wrestling. If he can go out there on a full camp, score a couple takedowns early, ground him, and survive the beating in the third, yeah, he could squeeze one out and steal it. So a minus 325, there's a lot of risks here if you're going with the Japanese fighter. That being said, I think he's the legitimate prospect with the better skill set, whereas Fugit, oh, it's so dope that you took that beating, man. Yeah, you took that beating. He was there for the taking all night. Morales had to overcome that bad first round, but beyond that, Fugit just seemed too limited for me. So chalk it up to a potential apple pie shader, but not quite one that I'm ready to pull the trigger on the plus money underdog yet. And the one thing I will just add to it, because I said that there should be a massive size disparity here, probably, I, I think that speaks more to the fact that, like, Henrique was so big. Like, that, guy, that kid was, like, six foot four. So, like, that's why King Yoshida lo- looked so small. But, like, he's actually six feet tall, according to UFC stats. And Fugit is six foot one. The only major disparity between the two of them is Fugit's got a six-inch reach advantage. But... I mean, I think he was giving up like a 10 or 11 inch reach advantage against that Henrique kid. And it's just like, if it's on the feet, he's so quick and light on his feet so fast that like there's going to be, it doesn't really, like that reach won't really matter. He gets like the way that he slipped and ripped to get that third round knockout was pretty impressive stuff. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, probably if I'm going to get to Fugit, it would be like more like a live betting situation. If he gets an early takedown, I probably don't get my, you know, plus 250 or plus 270 or anything like that at that point. But um, that's where I... The worry here is that he takes him down in the first, right? You live bet it because it's like, oh, I thought he might be able to take him down. And then in the second, just like the Morales fight, he does not get the takedown. He gets lit up. So wrestling is the key, though. You're 100% right in that assessment. Yeah. I mean, that's how... That's that's his path. If he's just hanging out at range, like, this kid's going to pick him apart and be so much faster. So I understand why he's the favorite... Just seemed a little bit wide for uh, for my appetite. Moving on down, we've got uh, now we're getting into the road to the UFC tournament here. We've got Anshul Jubilee taking on Jekka Saragi. Minus 120 Jubilee, plus 100 Saragi. I don't really understand this line, to be perfectly honest. I took uh, Saragi. I've got him at minus 110, which isn't even necessarily a good uh, line on the market right now. Um, Anshul Jubilee, from what I really saw, like the fight that. He was supposed to have two fights, but his second fight, his opponent had to pull out um, like a boss weight cut or something like that. And then his first one, he was like a plus 160 underdog apparently in that in that fight going into it. And he ended up winning by decision. But like, honestly, around like the eight, nine minute mark of the fight, like he was noticeably slowing down. Um, round three, he was kind of just holding on for dear life. He's like an X's, X's and O's type of striker, like, you know, fights off of his jab, has like a, uh, you know, a straight right. Everything's very like straight, like, you know, straightforward in terms of his striking approach, whereas Sergey seems to have, 
a lot more tools in his arsenal and is definitely a potent finisher. He's got the spinning back fist on content uh, on there. Um, in the fight against Pawan uh, Man, I believe his name is. He showed that, like, you know, his grappling is a bit of a liability, but he's not a complete dope when he's down there. He's been training uh, over here in, in San Diego um, for a bit or for some of his, you know, some camps and stuff like that. I just think the more complete and more dangerous striker is Sergey, so I'm surprised he's the, the underdog here, and that's why I took a shot on uh, Jekka Sergey. When, uh, when I first saw this, I actually didn't know if these guys were guys or girls because I literally had never seen either of their names before in my life. So it's kind of like how it started versus how it finished is I ended up with uh, with some money on Jekka Sergey. What's your take here, bud? Yeah, I'm actually going to agree, but this one's going to be very sloppy, but I, I took Jekka Sergey as well. <clears throat> when you watch him, he's very, very like, uh, he's a showman, man. He's loose in there. He's willing to take a punch, to give a punch. And then the thing is, is that when he gives a punch, he has got some legitimate power in his hands. Good God. Uh, he fights with his chin up in the air. Again, he's got not the greatest defensive skills. He's a long way to come. But if you're going to fight him at a low level and you're going to engage him, at some point he's going to hit you. And when he hits you, good God, he'll put you away. That fight with uh, Pawan Mansai, the first fight on road to, F- road, to, uh, road to the UFC, sorry. It's pretty competitive going into the third round. And then he cooks him with that spinning back fist, which I'm sure there's nobody in the arena, so the audibles are pretty big on it. But he pretty much deaded him with that spinning back fist. Came out of nowhere. Highlight real KO. One of the sweetest KOs I've seen in a while. Then that next fight against um, Juan Bin Key, he came in as like a plus 340 underdog against him. He was supposed to lose. And he comes in and it's like, Paul, his left hand is at his hip. His chin's in the air. And he blasts him with one straight punch from, from I don't know, 15 feet out and absolutely collapses him. <laughs> like, good God. If you're going to play punchy kicky with him, it's not going to be a good time. Ashel Jubilee, meanwhile, he moves way better. It seems like he's a little more athletic. He's got the better you know, skill set, but it's all like looks. Like he looks like he's moving better. looks like he's doing more. But for the most part, he's not really getting his opponent's attention with his strikes. And then the longer the fights goes, he completely gasses out. You mentioned that in his fight with Kyung Po Kim, split decision win. I thought that early he fought well for Mm -hmm. the first round, round and a half. Then he gasses and he's lucky that he won the first half because the judges end up giving him the fight on the basis of, you know, points that he accumulated. But once he gasses, man, he's there for the taking. Kudos to him. He fights through it. He still keeps trying to push forward. He keeps trying to find a little bit of resolve, which is all good stuff, but he's there to get hit. And what I'm telling you from was from Jaka, you don't want to get hit, man. So this thing's going to start out competitive for the first round. Jaka might even lose a round. He might be able to get a good plus money live betting line on him. At some point, they're both going to get tired. But when they both get tired, Jaka's going to nuclear detonate one off his chin and knock him out. So I got to say, this is a sloppy, low-level fight that is going to be awesome to watch entertainment-wise. And I think Jaka knocks him out and gets the win. So, yeah, sign me up. About even money. Um, and it's probably an even money fight. Now, I think one guy's got the better skill versus one guy that's got the bigger heart, the more power, the more desire, the more tenacity. And so that guy might take that early beating, but he'll win in the end. Uh, we've got Jiang Young Lee taking on Jia Yi. Uh, minus 250 for Lee. Yi can be had for plus 210. Who you got here, buddy? Yeah, this one's another interesting one. Sorry, what was the lines? I felt like it was way off. Minus Ye- yeah, 250. Yeah, plus 210. Okay, so yeah, so bear with me on this 
one because obviously uh it, it requires there's so many names i gotta like look it up yeah. so we'll start off with the massive favorite right uh jung young lee right jung young lee look at his first couple like he's physically built quite well uh it looks like he's got some decent enough power he looks super hesitant it's not like he's looking to engage his opponent maybe looking to counter punch at times but then just doesn't do enough sits a little bit flat-footed great shape moves well think could be decent at 26 years old making improvements his first two fights on the on the road to ufc sorry he beats Ben Z with a 36 second armbar. Grappling looked pretty decent. But again, you're fighting a guy that grappling's probably no good. You got taken down, you snatch up this 36 second armbar. Not bad. Quick finish. Fight with King Lou, big right hook. Got some power, knocks him out 42 seconds. So that's kind of the story of it. A lot of his wins are first, second round finishes. They're quite quick. Zhang Yi, meanwhile, he's got a lot of experience here, right? He's coming in with 25 professional fights. So that in itself is a large advantage over guys that were, for the most part, green and not quite ready. And when you look at him, he pushes a decent enough pace. And then that first fight against Sasu takes his back like nothing, chokes him out. The second fight against Kiyomi Matsushima, that's a competitive fight. It's a competitive fight, but Za Yi is coming forward the whole time. He's mixing in his takedowns very well. And even though his wrestling's not super high level, he's continuously mixing between striking and wrestling, throwing his opponent off and working and grinds out a split decision. So with um, Jung Young Lee, meanwhile, you don't know if he's any good off his back. You know, I got a 36-second armbar win. Again, if he's getting grinded for a prolonged period of time, I don't know that he's got all that good off his back. I don't know how good his takedown defense is. I don't know how good his cardio is. So that all makes Yi a dangerous opponent at plus 210 because he could have the cardio advantage, the wrestling advantage, and he certainly has the experience and the pace. So um, live, live to just keep this thing close, keep this thing competitive. Mind you, when he beat Kiyomi Matsumisha, one of the better guys in the tournament, right? So I, I think this one is like, not quite as straightforward as the line would suggest. And because I've been like tiptoeing around, like, oh, this dog's got a chance, but I'm not gonna pick him. I gotta I gotta I gotta pull it up at some point. So I'm gonna take Zayi as my first underdog on the card. I thought he lost the Matsushima fight. I Matsushima's decent. Oh yeah, of course. Like I I guess he was like one of the favorites in it. But like I thought it was pretty like Yeah, Matsushima was like the you know, Japanese people are known for being like very, very polite and honorable. And it's just like he was you could see in his eyes how mad he was at that decision, and he still, like, you know, shook his hand and was, like, very, very classy about it. But, like, Jai shouldn't have won that fight when I was when I was watching it. My problem with him is he's just, like, he just kind of just looks like a guard puller. Um, gives up, like, a lot of positions uh, in, in, like, scrambles and stuff like that. Wasn't too impressed by his wrestling. Matsushima, yeah, he, like, he would, like, guard pull. He would get... He was like, yeah, lots of scrambles and like losing top position and stuff. Like, not a guy I love getting to. I, I will say that, like, from a betting perspective, I'm more interested in him. But I don't know. I pass is probably yeah, my big. I, I have so move. many question marks about this Lee guy because of how fast his finishes were. Like, I just didn't really see like the full scope, the full picture of what to expect. He's minus two fifty as a favorite, so. I'm going to be skipping it. It's definitely a pass for me. Oh, for the purposes of this show. I mean, in terms of, like, tout master, I'm probably going to watch the weigh-ins before I even actually, like, lock in a pick. For the purposes of this show, for people who track the uh, the picks that we make, I'll take the favorite in Lee. Uh, moving on down, we got Rinya Nakamura taking on Toshiomi Kazama. My mistake Kazama is the is the guard puller guy. 
some of these names kind of confuse me, Cody. It's like I, I watched yeah, all these no, fights, okay. but I got. I was thinking, I was like, shit, I didn't think his wrestling was that bad. But I no, got I, mixed I, up. I, I, I hear what you're saying. No. Kazama is the guy because he was the guy who took on this Keru Muali, Mamiya, whatever, Maheti, um, in his first fight. Yes. And that was the guy. Yeah, he was taking, and that, that guy had actually fought Ja Yi as well. Um, like uh, in like the regional scene or whatever he was giving, like, he's a grappler. He's a submission expert. And he was like guard pulling and then losing positions and stuff like that constantly over the course of that fight. Super, super close decision, uh, pulls it out. Wasn't all that impressed by a bunch that we, that I saw, um, from him there. Um, but yeah, the, the real story of this fight is Rinya Nakam, uh, Nakamura, who's minus 425. I mean, this guy, like, world, world, world class level wrestling pedigree. I think he's like a world champion in whatever weight class, um, for one, for one year. Um, his fights on the road to the UFC. Uh, I mean, defensive striking, big liability. 100% like he was just going out there just bombs away but it's like when he actually did pursue takedowns like man he got to your hips real real fast the technique was elite elite this guy's someone to watch out for he's 27 so he's not exactly uh you know a baby uh, the time is now for him to start making a charge up the ranks um I took Rinya Nakamura inside the distance at minus 125. I see that. And I'm considering adding this too. Uh, I'm considering adding him by submission. Because that's like plus 800. Now maybe he doesn't even like. Doesn't even try to take this fight to the mat. Maybe he just bombs away on the feet. And that's how he tries to approach this fight. But I kind of think of this as almost like. And you know, people are going to think this is crazy. But it's almost like Makachev versus Charles Oliveira. Nobody was calling for Makachev to submit. Charles Oliveira but when you have somebody who is such a great positional wrestler they can kind of just like put you on your back and then wear you down and find the submission so like we saw submissions from him uh on on the show and he's got a couple other on his record at eight to one I don't think that's a very bad sprinkle most of my money will be in on Nakamura inside the distance at minus 125 but I'm probably going to be adding a little sprinkle to Nakamura by sub because I could totally see it playing out that way. Um, Kazama's happy to be fighting off of his back, and he's taking on a very legit wrestler here in Nakamura. Uh, probably this is the best prospect on this entire show, um, and I don't even think that's really up for debate. Like I think that's pretty clear. Yeah, it's pretty clear. Listen, he's got a world-class wrestling pedigree. He was the uh, under-23 world champion. He also got a bronze medal at the actual world championships. Uh, he's wrestled in Poland. He's wrestled in Spain. He's wrestled in the U.S. He, he's fought in Abu Dhabi. He's fought in Singapore. Like, he's been all over the world. He's traveled. He's a great athlete. If not for the COVID pandemic, he would 100% have represented Japan at the 2020 Olympics. The guy's a legitimate wrestler. Now, a lot of the time when you get a good wrestler, how are they going to transition over to MMA? Well, benefit for this kid is dad, Kozo Nakamura, was one of the founders of Shudo, which is like the oldest MMA promotion in the world and one of the more popular MMA promotions in Japanese history. The, the kid didn't just grow up wrestling. He grew up wrestling because his dad knew, you want to fight, you need to learn how to wrestle. And he had no problem quitting wrestling to transition to MMA because it just seems like it was something he was always going to do. 
I know what you're saying. He can wrestle. He can grapple. But he's not looking. He's looking to knock guys out. He likes to ground and pound. He likes to smash them. That fight with Gungun uh, Guzman, which is his first road to UFC appearance, uh, he's super green still. He smashes him in the back of the head with an elbow and loses mm-hmm. a point. Like, he, he's, he's not quite, you know, that high-level mixed martial arts that we're expecting him to be. And again, going back to Japanese fighters, third time I've mentioned this, if you're not training in a cage, if you're not training elbows, if you're not training these certain positions, you kind of do get lost every now and again in those uh, in those scrambles. So. He once he loses the point, he's just like, oh man, I'm just gonna take this guy down and submit him and just key lock. So Americana key lock, whatever you want to call it, it that's uh, guys that do jujitsu largely refer to it as, a, as it's a bitch tap. Nobody taps to that. And when was the last time someone in the UFC lost to that? And if you were gonna go back all the way, it's gonna be uh, you know Frank Mir or something against Pete Williams, just some stupid. Dan Severn used to hit them back in the day. Like it's a dead gone move, but that's the advantage that he had over Guzman, so he used it. To me though. Ring IQ, baby. That next fight was Shohei um, Jose, Nose. I don't know. Yeah, Nose. That kid goes on record. Nose. Yeah, Nose. Is, is that his last name? Is it Nose? It's who like knows? spelled N O S E, but it's <laughs> but probably Nose or something like that. We're you know we're not we're not professionals when it comes to the pronunciation pronunciations Damn. of all these guys. Well, so so his his. Sorry, yeah. what's that? So in his second fight for Road to the UFC. Uh, his opponent goes on record being like, hey, man, I'm just going to, if he takes me down, I'm going to submit him. I got a better grappling advantage over him. So he goes out there. He does not want to wrestle. He takes him down. Or he doesn't take him down. He just smashes him. Just goes berserk. Was it a little bit wild? Was it a little bit reckless? Of course. But desired outcome gets the quick K on the ground. So I'm going to use my wrestling to counteract that. Keep it standing. Blast him. When you look at this fight with... uh to show me Kazama, it's much of the same. He's decent on the ground. He wants to pull guard. He wants to try to get these positions. Don't let him. Keep it standing. Blast him. His striking defense, not very good. His physicality, not very good. His ability to withstand damage, not very good. So I think I think Nakamura knocks him out, um, doesn't submit him. But either way, we both like him. We both like him inside the distance. Yeah. I mean, take the inside the distance prop, probably. Like, it's like plus 110 out there for by knockouts. It's like... Just in case, I left a little room for myself for that for that uh, submission. But you make a lot of good points. Maybe I don't get to that. Um, I'm happy with my investment on uh, on Nakamura to win inside the distance. Uh, let's move on to the the, the final uh, road to UFC one. We've got uh, Yun Sung Park taking on Sung Guk Choi uh, minus one eighty five. Park plus one sixty for Choi. Choi is one of Korean zombies, uh, you know, protégés, I guess you could say. I wasn't overly impressed with his game, like, you know, watching watching his fights on the road to UFC. I did think he was, like, half like a half-decent strategist. He was able to, you know, uh, mix in takedowns in, in uh, maybe even both of the fights. I now it's kind of like escaping me exactly which fight <laughs> is which. But uh, uh, my biggest thing here is like on on Prize Picks they've got uh, Park having two takedowns in this fight. And I don't really understand that line whatsoever. I, I feel like from watching what I've seen from these guys on tape, if anybody's going to be pursuing takedowns, it's going to be Choi. Um, so I like the less than two takedowns on prize picks for this flyweight bout. Um, and then Park. 
Yeah, he just absolutely... Yeah, so there's that Top Noah Kiram fight. I mean, he was getting absolutely mollywopped on the feet. He's taking on a world-class uh, world-class Muay Thai guy in, in Kiram. And he had a nice little comeback. But, like, I, I saw a lot of holes in this guy's game. And when the price is minus 185 here, I feel like if he doesn't get that first-round finish, then what? I feel like what we saw from Choi, even though it wasn't as exciting, as exhilarating in terms of, you know, the final results of the fight. He showed that he can stick to, a, you know, a, a boring game plan and uh, and strategize his way to victory. So at plus 160, considering him um, as, a, as a dog shot here, I'll pick him for the purposes of this show. But yeah, the, uh, the park, less than two takedowns. I think that's the best prize picks uh, leg on the entire card, to be perfectly honest. What's your take here, bud? Yeah, certainly possible. Like, I think I, originally I was thinking the same thing. Choi, live underdog, simply because this is going to be a lower level fight that figures to be about 50-50, and it's not priced 50-50, so why not take the shot on him? But prior to jumping into the road to UFC tournament, he hadn't fought for two years, so understandably in that first fight with Rama Sapachi, he didn't look great. But, yeah, he gets the takedowns, and he's able to grind out some top control and get the win, catches a couple of kicks if need be. The last one with, with Kyun Loon, way tougher but again, I think his cardio is pretty decent, especially for a guy that had been off for, for that while. And uh, and he's just looking to grind on you and take you down, score some points that way. Could potentially try to win out of this. But with Park, <clears throat> Park's just going to come out with a lot more, you know, a lot more technique, a lot more power, a lot better grappling. And I think that eventually he's going to he's gonna see through and get the win. When he got the call to fight on road to UFC, he's actually down at Bang Thai Muay Thai, Bang Thai Muay Thai, sorry. In Thailand, so he's he's actually a, a training partner of Top Noy Kuram. But regardless, first rounding is that Jamie Strygar. He takes him down, he flattens him out, both hooks in, and just pounds him. Easy TKO. His grappling doesn't look too bad at all. That fight with Top Noy, he's looking to strike. Top Noy blasts him with a left straight right hook left straight combination that floors him. But as soon as he hits the ground, he's got his wits about him. Like he recovers right away. He's trying to you know guard. Top Noy doesn't want to go to the ground with him, so he waves him up. Okay, waves him up, gets back up, takes Topnoy down, chokes him out. As soon as he got one hook down on Topnoy, he had that he had him rear naked choke. Topnoy does a good job of fighting out of the choke the first time, switches sides, puts it in the second time. Topnoy tries to stand up and just collapses to the ground. The kid can grapple, and he can wrestle, and he can strike. And is he good at any one thing? I, I don't know. Is he more of a, a quick finisher? Maybe. But to me, here's a guy that could knock you out. And here's a guy that could submit you. And here's a guy that could make this a nice action-packed fight where he lands some good shots, there's some wow exchanges, some good moments, the judges score to him. Whereas with Choi, Choi can win the fight, no doubt. But how does Choi win the fight? Well, I'll probably take him down, catch a kick, lie on him, press him into the cage, and hope and hope the judges give it to you. Well, good thing you're plus money, because that would be the only saving grace here. But I think, I think a smart guy just passes altogether because the line on parks too much. But at the same time, I, I don't know that I pull the trigger on a dog play here. It's greasy, you don't want no part of it. The line's too big for park. But I would, I would have him as a favorite. Yeah, that, that, that's um, you're not going to get too much resistance from me on that one. I, I was just, yeah, on Prize Picks, two takedowns for Park seemed a little bit. Maybe, maybe he's got some sort of wrestling that I haven't seen in some of the other fights. I just thought that they kind of set that line. I was surprised to even get a takedown market on Park because I don't really, I didn't really see him pursuing takedowns mostly in his fights. I didn't see like any sort of technical wrestling and what in what I've seen on tape and I obviously haven't seen every single one of his fights so maybe I'm missing a little bit there but 
Uh, on prize picks, I liked Park less than two takedowns. I think he's probably going to try to uh, approach this fight mostly on the feet and and definitely can win that fight on the feet. I don't think I actually get to Choi uh, at plus 160 as a bet whatsoever. I just, I'll pick him and I'll probably have him in Toutmaster. We got uh, Ji Yun Kim taking on Mandy Bum. Uh, Ji Yun Kim, a minus 250 favorite. Bum can be had for plus 210, Cody. You know what they say. Friends don't let friends bet on Mandy Bum. But she's plus 210 against Ji Yun Kim, who's on a four-fight losing streak. Like, does does Kim get back on track here? I don't think I can get to Bum. Uh, you know, the reason, I, the reason I'm mispronouncing her name, it's actually Bum. Um is because that's like the little fun little nickname I've been making her, which is not very nice, but it is what it is. Uh, I don't really see too many redeeming qualities for her. I feel like this is like a get right spot for Ji and Kim. Like in fair, fair being fair, Ji and Kim should have won the fight against Catch Beating. Uh, that's that's just fair being fair. Has a lot of volume when she's when she's landing. This fight is minus four hundred to the over two and a half rounds. So. She could put up 150 significant strikes if this goes 15 minutes. So prize picks at 77 and a half. Maybe that's not a bad uh, look to get on. I'll be picking Kim, but uh, minus 250 scare me off. What about you, buddy? Yeah, I want to load up on Kim. I mean, looking at the tape, it seems like this is her spot to go out there and win. But of course, as Pat Man would tell you, these women's MMA spots are going to be a lot tight, tightly contested. And she's on a four-fight losing streak. The judges don't typically give her... Uh, the win even in spots where she looks like she she out hustled her opponent and bomb bomb really hasn't really shown the best of her game quite yet so all reason to believe that yeah it could be a little uh, of a greasier tighter spot and at this line you probably don't want a whole lot here's the thing with bomb bomb actually didn't look too bad at one point she comes over to canada wins the tko title over a uh, jade masson wong looked good there signs with bellator wins her first fight against greg eikut looked okay there and then tells bellator i don't want to fight for you guys please release me from my contract I would like to go to the UFC. So the UFC signs her and paid her actually decent enough money to come in and fight Arian Lipsky, where people thought she might actually have a chance. She proceeds to stand in front of Lipsky and do nothing. And Paul, I mean nothing. She stared at it. She did not want to counterpunch. She did not want to lead the dance. She did not want to initiate anything. She looked like a deer stuck in the headlights. But we'll give her a pass. UFC debut, been off for a little while. Tough-ish opponent in Lipsky, let's say. Okay, no problem. Well, let's rebound you here against Victoria Leonardo. The Leonardo fight is the exact same. And mind you, she left Europe and went down to Extreme Couture. Where she gets with Eric Nixick. She puts a full camp in Las Vegas. This is the best Mandy Bond that's going to show up. She has an eight-inch reach advantage over Victoria Leonardo and proceeds to throw no jabs, proceeds to not do really much of anything. I thought she looked better than her debut, but she just allows Victoria Leonardo to outwork her pretty much the entire time take her down twice, seal the deal in the third round with a big takedown. She looked lethargic. She looked disinterested. She did not look like she was there to competitively try to fight for 15 minutes. Not only that, she fights at a super slow pace. And in both of her fights in the UFC, she completely gasses about six or seven minutes into the fight. So low pace, still with bad cardio, not comfortable, no ability to use the reach. I did not like what I saw in either performance for sure. Uh, the one thing she's got is that she's got like a 71-inch reach, which is long. Again, it was long against Victor Leonardo. but And that's nullified because Gian Kim's got a freakishly long 72-inch reach. Mm-hmm. Kim's got the output. She's got the output all day. When you look at she's losing, sure, she's losing. 
She put up 68 against Alexa Grosso, who looks to fight for a title in the very, very near future. Against Molly McCann, she put up 122, and that was given up two takedowns. Yep. She was taken down twice. She still lands 122. Priscilla Cachoeira, she lands 170. That's sickening numbers. Should have won the fight. Cachoeira landed some hellish elbows in the third that swung it in her favor, but 170 landed. Crazy output. And even her last time out against Jocelyn Edwards, very tough fight. Uh, honestly, the third round, she looked pretty good. Scored a takedown in the third round. Her cardio looked good. Her pace looked good. The first two, she had trouble fighting the, 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 the target. Against Mandy Baum, not going to be the problem. She doesn't really move her feet all that much. She basically walks herself back to the cage and just straddles the outside of it in a circle. She's not throwing output. If this ends up being a dogfight, Kimmel 3-1 to one her. Baum's not sure. She's gone 0 for 5 in, in takedown attempts. She shows a 0% takedown accuracy. That can't be the game plan. Certainly not for 15 minutes. And is she just going to come out and suddenly throw three times the amount of strikes that she normally does? I, I, I don't see it. This thing may be somewhat competitive for the first round. Second round, Kim's going to keep throwing. Bomb's going to tire. Third round, Kim's going to beat her. If this is 1-1 going into the third, I'm live betting Kim for sure. I just don't think it's going to be 1-1. Maybe Bomb wins the first. That's her best case. It's all downhill after that. So I got Kim. And then if you wanted to, like, you were a little bit nervous about pre-fight, maybe you wait and watch a bit of the first round. The problem is that this line, if she wins the first round, it's gone. You're not getting back yeah. on it. So... I think Kim wins. It's just we've all been in these spots where we've learned our lesson and Pat's always got some great takes that ends up winning. Like, I don't know how he does it, but he does. He does it for a reason. They're not the most comfortable spots that you can bet a ton in. But if you want to look at this card and like who should win their fight fairly convincingly, who has their opponent beat pretty much all areas, yeah, it would be Kim. And just like they're trying to do for Choi, it's like we, you know what, we, we did you dirty, man. Three fight losing streak, tough guys. Let's do you a solid. Kim's on a four-fight losing streak. Why is she even fighting in the UFC? If she loses this and she goes on a five-fight losing streak, it's like, who else have they allowed to do that? BJ Penn? And there was one other guy they allowed to do that I don't know. Why Carlos Condit? Like, I don't know. Well, why would you let someone go on a five-fight losing streak? But I think they're like, you're a lot better than your record indicates, and we're sorry. And Let, let us throw you up one here. Manny Bond's 0-2, really done nothing. This is your spot. This is your spot to rebound. I think she takes full advantage. Should we just not, over, like, just Kim decision, like, minus 120? Don't overthink it. Just bet that and be on your way. Yeah, yeah. Like, like Bond's not, doesn't have durability issues, I don't think. She hasn't been never finished. Never been finished. But yeah, like, she just looks so disinterested. My worry would be if Kim comes in with a barrage that she might just turn or, I, I don't know. Decision, Kim, smart, smart. How many times have you been owned on a prop where you're like, I should have just, Hit the money line. I mean, at minus 250, that's what gets me off of betting this fight all the way around. I mean, the only finish in the UFC that Kim has was against Nadia Kassam, who is the worst in this division's history. I think that's like, (laughs) that's, she is on my Mount Rushmore. Um, She was so bad when she was in the UFC. I hope she, hope she's doing well. Um, But but yeah, like she was, that's her finish that she has in the UFC. Otherwise, she's went up against much harder opponents. She's been very durable. Bomb has been, been a very, very durable. I mean, over two and a half is juiced to minus 400. Getting that 250 down to minus 120, like I'll wait until weigh ins. Maybe the line just escapes me, goes up to like minus 150, and then I get scared off of it. But. That's how I would approach it. Kim by decision. Um, 
is how I 100% really think that this fight plays out. Like, she's going to win on volume um, over the course of three rounds. We got Jun Young Park taking on Dennis Chilulin. Minus 210 Park, plus 180 for Tallulah. Two guys that, you know, we kind of talk about as being... Jung Young Park, we, we did talk about him being, like, super, super durable. But I feel like, you know, that, that durability has been cracked a little bit. Like, sometimes people have to exploit it from a grappling perspective uh, on him. Like, he's been, you know, he got submitted by... Anthony Hernandez, Fluffy is one hell of a grappler. Don't get me wrong on that front. And then Gregory Rodriguez, standing TKO. He took so much damage in that. The guy had taken so many shots. You worry about long-term, is this going to be a problem for him? Tululin, on the other hand, I mean, Ali Scrab was about as hard of a debut as you could ask for. And then he followed it up next time out against Jimmy, uh, Jamie Pickett and just absolutely handed a beat down to him his defense striking defense is horrible but his chin he trains with uh with uh with Sean Strickland on a daily basis I believe in Vegas like his chin definitely holds up I'm tempted on the underdog here Cody and in, in, in Dennis Chilulin I'm not so convinced you know two takedowns on prize picks for Jung Young Park like He's gotten over that number before, but I'm not so convinced that he's just going to come out here and just take Zhang Young Park down at will. Like I thought Tululin did pretty well for himself against Ali Scrab Kirziev. Was taken down two times in that fight, but he's taking on an elite, elite grappler. Park's got two takedowns against Joseph Holmes, but got taken down three times by Eric Anders. Like I think that takedowns is way too high for Park. I expect these guys to kind of just stand and trade and uh, maybe both of their chins hold up and we go a full 15 but gun to my head forced to bet on this fight I'd be siding with uh, Dennis Tululin on the money line at plus 180 what's your take here bud I think I'm gonna take Dennis Tululin as well I don't want a ton of exposure on it but yeah we're gonna need a couple greasy underdogs this one fits the description of a greasy underdog so again first and foremost with him He's got a bad rap as he can't wrestle. Well, well why can't he? Well, look at his debut against Alice Cobb Kizirev. Yeah, the guy's a badass grappler. And yeah, he put up a fight. He got taken down. Unfortunate. The one before that against Iskram Aliskarov. You I mean like the guy that gave Chimaya, that his only career losses against Chimaya? Absolute beast. Absolute stud rushing grappler. He got taken down by him too. Like, oh, damn. Sucks. But yeah, that's his thing is that he's fighting really good guys. So I think if you even just watch the Jamie Pickett fight, Jamie Pickett like shoots a, a, a bum takedown and the whole commentary team's like, oh, that's the move. Dennis showed in his last fight his grappling deficiencies. And yeah, against a stud. Can grapple against a stud. Because Jamie Pickett, he stops all the takedowns pretty easily. Look pretty good. Look pretty solid. Now the other thing is his cardio, right? The guy's got trash cardio. <laughs> Going back to 2015, this is straight up trash cardio. Uh, he wins first round knockout, right? The next one goes to the second round. He gasses out and he gets rid of choked. Win in the first round. And he loses to Ruslan Shamalov on a split decision because he gassed out. The next one, he wins in the first round. Then he loses to Jean-Patrick by split decision. Yeah, yeah, because he gasses out. Second round finish. First round finish. First round finish. First round finish. When he loses, it's when it goes to the second or the third. When he wins, it's the first. He's 34 years old. He's a front runner. That's kind of how he is. I think he's got 12 finishes inside the distance, eight by KO. We know who he is. The guy maybe can't wrestle defensively, and he's got spotty cardio. Yeah, but look, go back to the Jamie Pickett fight. I'll be damned. 
His takedown defense looks solid, and his cardio looks solid, and that was a big difference maker. He's actually beating uh, Kurziev on the feet. Kurziev has to bail himself out by going to the takedowns. Against uh, Pickett, Pickett couldn't get the fight to the ground. And by the way, Pickett's gone the distance with Tafan and Jaqui. Uh, Pickett's gone the distance with some decent enough hitters. His durability wasn't necessarily a giant concern. And Dennis just mauled him. He beat him up. His short distance, elbows. Everything was elbows in that short, short quarters, right? From the outside, big old right hands, you know, constantly moving forward, constantly forcing you to fight off your back foot. If the guy's on Russian supplements and he can fight two full rounds, he can be a problem for a lot of guys. Just take down defense is better. He'd be a problem for a lot of guys. And of course, he trains with some of the best guys in the game. I would think that to a certain extent, it's rubbing off a little bit on him. Jung Young Park, talented as he may be, very limited still. Um, his fight with John Phillips, you know, like you're the only guy to beat John Phillips and go to decision. Like, why are you not finishing him? Well, and he landed a bunch of crappy little short ground and pound strikes, but no sense of urgency. The Tafan and Jaqui fight, majority decision, not, not a spectacular performance. His fight with Gregory Robocop Rodriguez, he's got him done. Rodriguez is done, okay? Take a step back, let him wade in, counter him, and put him away. No, he, he decides, let's play Rock'em Sock'em Robots, gets himself clipped and gets himself knocked out. To me, that's the issue, is that as much as he could fight a smart game plan, he is also prone to trying to put this Iron Turtle moniker to good use. Oh, I'm durable. I can take a shot. Let's throw down. You don't want to throw down with Dennis. Because it's not the path of least resistance. Take him down. Use that outside trip that you use. You know, do what you got to do. But no, it doesn't. And so people will say he lost the Eric Anders fight. I think he won the Eric Anders fight, but he got controlled the entire time. It's the last one against Joseph Holmes. You mentioned he puts a mollywop beating on Joseph Holmes. He got bailed out by the takedowns because Joseph Holmes was actually, surprisingly enough, beating him up standing, mm-hmm. hitting him standing. Iron Turtle don't move his head, man. He comes forward. And so that's fine. But against a heavy power puncher, you're walking into to danger. And so let's use, not MMA math, but let's use our, our common guy here, Gregory Rodriguez. Because you nailed this. You pick who is a uh, big old caboose of a man he just lost to. Uh, oh, my guy, Bruno Ferreira. You better. Gregory Robocop Rodriguez. Yeah, he Bruno lost Ferreira, Bruno Ferreira, my guy. guy. Okay, and you mentioned this. You mentioned this. You said, well, Bruno's a heavy hitter, as limited as he may be, and he kind of is limited in ways. Mm-hmm. He's a big, old, thick, heavy-hitting guy. And Gregory could win this fight. He could take it down. He's got the better grappling. He's got the more experience. He's got this and that. But he's got a tendency to fight his opponent's level and engage. And if he engages Bruno, not going to be a good time. He engages Bruno, it was not a good time. I get a lot of feeling that that's the same thing here. Park goes to the takedowns over and over, can make the wrestling work. He's got way better cardio. you got to grind on him. Take him into deeper waters. Once you get him into deeper waters, you're going to be okay. Or you can engage him like an idiot, and you might get knocked out. And I got a feeling he's going to engage him like an idiot and get knocked out. So uh, I need an underdog. Let's go for Dennis Tulin. I And I hope that we're both right because I just uh, – it actually moved to plus 190, and I was just like, all right, I'll be your Huckleberry at plus 190. Plus <laughs> 175 is going to get my money. <laughs> I guess people are moving in on the Iron Turtle. I love the Iron Turtle. I've bet him in a bunch of spots, but I think at this price, uh, Tallulah, you know, the the guys that he's working with on a daily basis should put him in a pretty de- decent spot to at least make this fight competitive. Um, and finally, we've got an absolute, uh, you know, an absolute one-sided fight. Tatsuru Tyra takes on uh, Jesus Aguilar. Minus 1,200 for Tyra, plus 800 
for Aguilar. Uh, Aguilar, I remember being on Contender Series in a very, very close uh, competitive fight where he utilized his grappling to win that fight. Feel like you got to probably throw all of that out the window because that's where Tyra absolutely cooks. Minus 1,200, what are we supposed to do with this fight, though, Cody? Like, is he going to get the finish inside the distance? I mean, we're both picking Tyra pretty clearly. Minus 1,200 is very, very difficult. Does he get the finish over Aguilar is the real question here. Is that how you approach this fight? Uh, or do you take him by decision? I'm a little bit split and torn on it all the way around, to be perfectly honest right now. Uh, Tyra, obviously, is my pick. Yeah, I think that's where Tyra finishes a Murray Naked Choke, probably under one and a half. He's got a knack for taking the back, and he's a, he's a solid prospect, but his best abilities, right, is his grappling. He's got a good ability to hit in transition, you know, good back takes, uh, end up on on good positions, end up on top if he needs to be, and then has good solid control. In his debut, it's like you're taking on a guy who at that time had never been finished, BJJ Black Belt, uh, Candelario, limited as, as he may be, with a durable opponent. He just styles on him. He gets the positions he wants. He can hold it. His cardio is solid. His ring IQ looked decent enough. Um, he still does make mistakes in there. Young fighter, no doubt about it. But if you're going to feed him these lower-level guys, he's going to style on them. CJ Vergara, meanwhile, that's exactly what he does. Vergara was known as a tough out, a guy that's going to continuously be coming forward. He's going to be letting his hands go. He's going to make it problematic for you. But the thing is, he makes too many mistakes. He's just, he, he, he leaves openings, right? And being tough is great, and you can out-toughen your opponent, but if they're that much more skilled, they're going to pick off those openings. That's exactly what he does. He just takes his back. The first round, you know, grinds him pretty good. Second round, giving him a good old-fashioned grinding, takes his back. And then that transition to arm bar, it's like this kid's good. He's getting better. And as long as they continuously match him up against guys that he can take these positions, he's going to continuously get these submissions. With Jesus Aguiar, he's I think he's like 26 years old, but he's been around the game for a long time. Made his pro debut in 2015. Hasn't lost since his pro debut in 2015 when he was 19 years old, but he doesn't really fight all that much. Uh, he comes in, he lets his hands fly. He's a big, physically built guy, you know, big chest on him. Daniel Cormier was admiring him on the Contender Series, but he just throws caution to the wind. Here's the thing with, well, maybe he's got a puncher's chance. Maybe if he sits down in one of those punches... He has a 62 and a half inch reach. It's like non-existent. It's non-existent. And as a result, he swings from way too far out. Tyra's known for his grappling. Tyra could probably beat him with his stand-up just by staying to the outside and, and chip shotting at him. He's going to eventually have to close the distance. When he does, he's going to fall over. In a lot of these fights, he's making a mistake. Sometimes he gets bailed out. He's got that guillotine. The Edgar Chavez one, fifth round guillotine choke. He was dangerous in the fifth. The Jamie Alvarez fight. Jamie Alvarez was a contender series veteran. A guy that should have been in the big show once upon a time snagged him up with a second round guillotine. The guillotine's his move on the contender series, right? Mm -hmm. Loses the first round. Second round's close. Third round, he snags up that guillotine. So Tyra's got to still pay attention. Don't don't wade into a big overhand right. Don't jump in headfirst into a guillotine choke. But barring he doesn't do any of those things, I think he absolute styles on him. And what I will say is Jesus Aguiar versus Arison Ferreira. In the first round, he takes Ferreira down. Ferreira gets back up. He goes for like an inside trip, and he literally just pulls Ferreira on top of him. Okay, yeah. he works his way back up. He grabs Ferreira, and I don't know why, but he does it a second time. He pulls him on top of him. Ferreira passes right to mount, takes the back, flattens him out, punches him in the head, and the round ends. In the second round, he's out grappling him, and then you would see like he would go for a back take. He'd get too high, and he'd fall off. He ends the second round on his back again. In the third round, he grabs the rear, uh, the uh, the guillotine. Sorry, but. 
He's making way too many mistakes in there for someone like Tyra not to take advantage. He's got a knack for giving up his back. His only pro loss was by a first-round rear naked choke. And there's another one incoming here. I think Tyra takes his back, subs him with a rear naked. If not, maybe another arm bar under one and a half. If it's not under one and a half, I don't think this make this makes it to the third. And he's minus fourteen hundred, he's minus twelve hundred, well, whatever. There's nothing really I can tell you. He's a big favorite. He's a big favorite. Why is he a big favorite? All the things that we just outlined. But how do you improve it? The under one and a half, the inside the distance, the submission, the first round submission. I don't think this one's gonna last all that long. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the only loss on uh, on Aguilar's career is a rear naked choke loss back in 2015. Maybe that's why it's scaring people a little bit off of, like, a Tyra inside the distance. Tyra inside the distance is in the minus 200 range. Doesn't seem like a bad, like, uh, bad play there, to be perfectly honest. Um, I don't know if I'm going to get there with my own money. The bets that I do have in this week, uh, we got Vlago Ivanov plus 130. We got... Uh, Sarigi at minus 110, which isn't even necessarily a good line on the market right now. I'm surprised that that's not moving to like minus 150, to be perfectly honest. But we will see uh, on Saturday night. We've got Dennis Tallulah just added it, uh, plus 190. And uh, Nakamura wins inside the distance, minus 125. We've got Bellator this weekend, too. You know I'm going to have money on my boy Max Roshkoff. It's, you know, I'm I'm forever connected to him we're gonna have to get him back on the program at some point he actually did after our last time that we spoke to him said that uh we could reach out at any time after you know the the whole thing that happened with the you know the commission and not allowing him to fight against Hamill I figured like you know let let the guy get back to let 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 the guy get back to business hopefully he pulls off a victory this weekend he's like plus 160 plus 170 out there you know I'm gonna have money on it. I'm I'm curious to see where the uh, where that line goes, and I'll, I'll be snatching some of it up by Saturday. I'll tell you that much. But yeah, that's that's where my money is this week. Um, without further ado, Cody, hit him with the PRP. Hit him with the PRP. We're gonna go Sergey Spivak, Dalton Gung, Marcin Tabora, Duho Choi, uh, Yusaku Kinoshita, Jekka Saragith. Zayi is dog number one. Like you should just pass on this people, but that's we're gonna go dog number one. Rinya Nakamura, uh Hyung Song Park. You could go dog number two there, but I'll go park. Ji Young Kim, Dennis Chulin is officially dog number two, Tatsuya Tyra. So I, I know where it's like, oh man, you don't got a whole lot of underdogs. Yeah, switch over to the Bellator if you want underdogs. I think more of the ones I really like. Okay, Lorenz Larkin at plus 185. Got a shot. He just fought this guy. The guy couldn't do nothing with the takedowns. And then one shot in the back of the head and it KOs the guy. Like, whatever. That was a bad fight for Birkenhoff. 185. Solid line. Uh, Ali Asayev is a plus 110. Man, he won a million dollars in PFL. He's never lost. He's stout. If he gets on top, he's not getting submitted by Steve Mallory. He's live. Max Rochkoff, as Paul said, not hugging aside at that line. Certainly has a chance. Grant Neal, plus 120. Did anybody watch Carl Albrechtson's last fight? He's awful. This is a bad fighter. This is a bad, bad fighter. Grant Neal's going to beat him. Plus 120. Uh, Darian Caldwell tempted, but he's just like so uninterested. Jalen Bates live at plus 265. No way. Ethan Hughes is the underdog now? What the hell happened there? Jornel Lugo, minus 320. Holy uh, shit. Bates is Ethan plus Hughes 265. Ethan Hughes minus 300. He opened at minus 300, and he's currently plus 120. Who? That's a lot of money. Ethan Hughes, who I'm going to bet, by the way. 
Ethan Hughes. Uh, crazy, but I wonder why the line movement. Hmm. Never heard of him, bro. It's like the very first fight on the card. Very first fight on the card, if you just won the quick one there. So, like, Ethan Hughes is, like, 20 years old, I think. And he was 19 years old, and he came in, and he fought that Mahmoud Sabi, Fozzie Sabi, who's a fraud, terrible. But he's a plus 750 underdog, this kid from Mississippi who's 20. And, uh, man, his jiu-jitsu looks solid. His striking looks solid. His cardio looks solid. His chin was good. He fought him the entire way. He tired him, took him in the third round, molly whopped him, got a win. Hasn't fought in, like, three years. He hasn't fought in two years, I think. So he's still only 21 years old. But, like, the kid had it. He's like Jason Knight. It reminds me a lot of Jason Knight. This Yusuf Kurakaya guy, he, yeah, he's a Muay Thai guy. I remember he fought Nikki Holskin in, in Turkey and got clowned on. Clowned on. Now Nikki Holskin, one of the best in the world. But this guy was not a very good kickboxer at the time. And he's since won one MMA fight three years ago, four years ago. Like, why, why did that much money come down? How did a minus 300 flip to a minus, plus 150? And that was the guy, that don't make no sense to me. Anyways, I'm still going to bet Ethan Hughes. Probably just going to have less on it, I suppose. Glad I didn't bet him at. I seen him at minus 190. They say, they're saying it opened at 300. I only saw it at minus 190. Whatever. Honestly, this Bellator card looks good to me. There's good plus money plays. There's good favorites that should come in. Neiman Gracie should be solid. Johnny Eblen, price is still pretty good. Ryan Bader, I'm a little bit nervous, but you've already seen this fight once before. It was non-competitive. Bader gets the takedown again. Probably much of the same. I like Bellator, man. I like Bellator this week. I think the UFC is just supplemental to it. And between the two of them, you can get a good... I got a good eight-fight parlay and a good ten-fight parlay. And then, of course, you can extend them out longer than that if you want. But on no card, you feel good about having eight guys win. But you feel pretty good about having four guys win on the UFC card and four guys win on the Bellator card. And that eight-fight parlay feels pretty good now, doesn't it? So excited for what this Saturday could present. And uh, in terms of the Bellator, I, I want to do a Bellator preview because I spent way too much time tape studying this entire card. I'm just so busy, right? So if I don't get to it, I will tell you I'm going Bader, Johnny Eblin, Saba Hamasi, Neiman Gracie, Lorenz Larkin, Ahmed Magomedov, uh, Ali Asayev, Max Roshkov, Grant Neal, Alejandro Lara. She'll be a lot better here too. And this Diana girl, it's like it's an even money fight. Diana's no good. Zero good. Absolutely not good. Won a split decision over an absolute nobody opponent, Golfin, two fights ago. And Lara fights all the best girls and generally loses, but she switched her training camp. She'll be better this time. Caldwell could win. Jalon Bates. I am taking Bates and Caldwell. Isaiah Hokett, even though he's got no chin. And uh, Ethan Hughes. So, again, you got a lot of good spots this weekend, too. Makes a match, makes stuff work, and uh, hopefully come out profitable. So, 26 fights between both cards. You don't got to bet all 26. Just bet the good ones. The but Cody, money. And but then Cody back will week. bet all 26 fights in some sort of greasy parlay at some point. Yeah, that Hughes fight, 100%, I don't really know. Yeah, I, but I the ones oh. at the bar. Yeah, I don't really know all that much about the Hughes one, but that is some pretty wild. Like, it was it uh, Saturday it opened at minus 300, and then on Tuesday it went from minus 190 all the way up to, like, plus 140 at one point so someone unloaded or a tout service or something like that unloaded a clip on this Yusuf guy so that's yeah, kind of what interesting I would, what i would say is like you know the pessimistic side of you now thinks well is Ethan hughes hurt does somebody in his camp know that he's got a broken ankle and he's taking this fight anyways he hasn't fought since the biggest win of his career two years ago or i guess it was only a year i keep saying it's a long time ago a little over a year he hasn't fought since then. He had a canceled fight in the mix. He probably is hurt. He probably is banged up. He probably does need the paycheck. He's only 21 years old. He's a student. Uh, Got to go. 
who knows? Or is it that they just think Yusuf Karakaya is a great kickboxer and he's going to knock out the kid because the kid's got decent, you know, not very great striking, maybe. But I'll tell you one thing. That kid was Mississippi tough. He was one of those kids that you could blast in the head with a head kick. And he was going to keep coming forward. He was going to get to the ground. He was going to make you pay. He's a problem. That Ethan Hughes kid's a problem. He's 21 years old. This kid will actually end up being half decent. Yusuf, I don't know how Yusuf ended up here from Turkey. Uh, well, I don't know. He's got those kickboxing roots. I think he's spending a little bit of time maybe at Glory MMA and Fitness. But yeah, yeah. I would say I, I like better Hughes at plus 110 than I would have liked him at minus 300, I suppose. But mm-hmm. yeah. And Jalon Bates, here's another one that I'll leave you with. Uh, Jalon Bates in all of his fights, Been massive he's very long, right? Yeah, he's five foot ten for 135 pounds. Very long, got a funk style of wrestling, trains out of Oregon, and he's a problem. As an amateur, he went 9-0. and As a pro, he's undefeated 5-0, and and they give him this Mark Coates. Mark Coates, BJJ Black Belt, guy that used to fight at 55, and Bates looks awful. He looked awful. And he's a minus 900 favorite over, over Marky Mark, and he beats Mark Coates on a split decision. Should have been unanimous. Beats him on a split decision. And now, just like that, people are off of him. Well, keep in mind, this kid's 26 years old, okay? He's undefeated as an amateur and a pro. That was a good, good gut check performance for him. And he's got legitimately good grappling. Jordanel Lugo, meanwhile, yeah, he's only 27. He's decent. But he struggles with the grappling, okay? He's not a good counter grappler. He gave up spots against Keith Lee. In his last fight against Danny Sabatello, who's the man grappling, he's a fish out of water. Like Bates will put him in two bad spots and cash as a plus 240 underdog. So I don't love the underdogs on the UFC card. On the Bellator, I think it's 4-5 coming through, and that's highly unusual for a Bellator card. Yeah, maybe they're, they're, they're wise to the fact that we always say, like, oh, chalk absolutely rocks at Bellator, and maybe that's what they're kind of adjusting to. They're hoping that people make those parlays. So if anybody, yeah, it was... So you like Bates, Roshkoff, uh, Isayev, Lorenz Larkin, Grant Neal, and Ethan Hughes. I'm gonna put a yeah, little. Bit, I'm gonna put a little bit on those underdogs. You know me. I love betting underdogs. And when Cody Safdie tells me to bet underdogs, I'm. I mean, no, no disrespect to you. They're not gonna be the size of my regular wagers, but I'll, I'll scatter some uh, some shots on those guys. Um, yeah, should add uh, add some extra fun to uh, a very very jam packed Saturday night. Filled with fights. But that is it for us this week. Hope you enjoyed this show. For producer Megan and Cody Saptic, I'm Paul Shaughnessy saying goodbye and good luck. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance.
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. 